The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, nor staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever you, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off your dust, the dust from your feet, as, as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the, t- the Tetrarch heard all about what was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed them, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came, came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of God. So we have our annual congregational meeting after church today. Thank you especially to those who can, uh, can stay around for that. Um, but it does raise the question, doesn't it, when you're thinking about leaders and you're thinking about budgets and you meet once a, once a year for this meeting, you, it raises the question, what should a church look like? What priorities should be evident in people who follow Jesus together? And as I ask that question, you know, there's, there's elements of curiosity to that. There's elements of theology to that. What should we be like? There's also elements of pain to that. I've talked to a lot of people, even this week, who have so much pain way or another. And so I think, as I ask that question, what should church look like? The first thing I want to say is, isn't it hard to do church right? It's hard. So any of you, you hear about how other churches are acting or Christians out there in the world, and sometimes, occasionally, you're embarrassed. Anybody have that experience? Okay. We look out there and you go, gosh, is that what church is supposed to be like? Okay, harder question, maybe we're less honest about it. How many of you look at yourself sometimes and you're a little embarrassed? If people were looking at me, if they were looking at us, would they see a good picture of what church is supposed to be like? It's hard, it's hard. I, I wonder about myself, am I, am I doing this right? And you know, as, 
as we ask this question, I'm really thankful that Jesus didn't make us his church because we do it right. Somebody needs to give me an amen on that one. I know it's the summer, you're you're tired. Amen, right? Jesus didn't make us his people because we have it all together and we always do it right. In fact, it's the opposite. He came to bring people to himself who had it all wrong, who messed it all up, who couldn't figure it out, and he brings those people to himself and sends them out. So thank God, we have a righteousness that's not our own. It's in Jesus Christ, and he gives that to us freely as a gift. So we're his by grace. But now that we're his, what should we look like? What should we prioritize as his people? So if you've been with us, we've been studying through Luke's gospel, and today we're gonna see a remarkable shift in the story. So, so from chapters one to eight, it's been all about Jesus, what he's saying, what he's doing. It, look at Jesus. In chapter nine, something remarkable happens. Jesus begins to pass the baton on what he's doing to his apostles and includes them in what he's doing. He's no longer going to pretty much be doing things on his own and everybody watches. He's gonna be training these people and sending them out now to do what he's doing. It's a remarkable shift. And it reminds you that Luke didn't just write Luke. Any Bible scholars out there? What else did he write? Acts, right. So, So Luke, the gospel, the news about who Jesus is and what he's done. And we see Jesus bringing people to himself. And then there's Acts, which is the story of what Jesus' people will do, how they will echo his work in their lives. And it just reminds us of this fundamental truth. Jesus brings you to himself, and then he sends you out to echo the work he's done in you out for others. He brings you to himself and he works for you. He works in you, but that's not the end of the story. He's going to send you out to echo his work through you. Jesus' work in you and for you. Jesus' work through you. That's what we see in this passage. So in a way, there's a lot uh, that doesn't connect with us in this passage. So for instance, how many of you are apostles doing miracles all the time? Okay, show me after church. I'm excited to see this. Okay, well, we're not apostles in the same way. Not only that, this is a, this is a one-time moment even for the apostles. This is a, a limited-time internship. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's had this huge ministry in Galilee through all these cities. And at the end of this chapter, it's going to tell us Jesus begins to set his face towards Jerusalem. So he's going there ultimately to die on a cross, but he's about to leave this season of time in Galilee. This is the last march in these cities. So in order to, number one, get the word out to more people, he sends his disciples out to preach his message, to do what he's been doing. He's getting the word out through them in Galilee before he leaves, but also, this is huge training for these guys, right? These are going to be his apostles, and this is a way for them to start figuring this out. What does it mean to have Jesus work through me? So it's an internship for them. So in one way, it's a one-time thing. It's not all descriptive for us. Jesus isn't telling you, hey, when you go uh, evangelize, never take a staff, ever, never. And some of you are like, I've I've never done that anyway. There are things that are different for us, right? But there are principles which are for us. And what I want to show you, I think, is six echoes of what it looks like when Jesus' work for you starts to echo through you. 
Six echoes of when Jesus' work for you begins to work through you. And hopefully this will be something that as we think about, you know, what should we be like as a church? Well, we should be like this. This is what it should look like. This is what we want to strive for. So I want to speak to you as an individual and, and speak to us as a, as, a, as a family. Number one, individually, do these echoes echoes through you? Is this in your life? I want you to ask that about yourself as we go through this. Is this echoing in me? And then also together, can we echo this together? Can we grow in the, do we do it perfectly? No, not close, but we're, we're loved anyway. Can we, can we grow in it? Yeah, let's grow in it together. So six echoes of when Jesus' work in us flows through us. Number one, we'll start with verse one. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. My first observation here, just real briefly, who is it calling the 12 together? Jesus, who is it giving them power and authority? Jesus, who is it who's telling them to proclaim a message that he's been proclaiming? Jesus, who is the one that's acting, that's initiating, that's creating, that's working, that's moving? Who is it? It's Jesus. Who are his disciples listening to, trusting in, focused on? It's Jesus. When Jesus' followers echo his work, Jesus is the focus. He's the focus. You watch denominations, you watch movements, you watch individuals, and there's all these things that are good out there. There are, there's lots of things that are good. And before long, all of a sudden, those good things become the focus. And Jesus himself takes a demotion. And we are on our way to ruin when we make good things the ultimate thing. And for people who are echoing Jesus' work, the main thing, the main passion, the main focus will always be who? Jesus. My family and I were privileged to go on a vacation. We went up to Yellowstone, Glacier National Park. So beautiful. And on one hike, we got pretty close to a bear. It was very exciting. And as we went over that hill, and I caught up with my kids, I can't tell you how focused I was <laughs> on that bear. Number one, I'm a, I'm a, I love wildlife. So just the beauty of seeing a bear. It was awesome. I was focused on his beauty. And then also, hey, I got my, I got my people right behind me here. My five kids. There's a little bit of danger, possibly, with a bear. I was focused. I was focused on that bear's every move. Okay, I did my homework. I watched YouTube videos. <laughs> I read books about bear body language. I want to know, what does he care about? What's he doing? I was watching that bear. That bear's movements would define my choices. I was so focused on that bear. Um, are you focused on Jesus in that way where you're watching you're listening, you're sensitive, you're open, you're trained. He's got your attention more than anything else. You might ask, how do we do that? How do we focus on Jesus? Well, I, my, my main answer to that is prayerful attention to his word together. Prayerful attention to his word together. If you just want to go out on your feelings, you feel like God spoke to you, maybe he did Maybe he didn't. 
How do you know you're seeing Jesus and hearing his voice and following him? Prayerful attention to his word together. Remember, Jesus is sending out these apostles to proclaim him. And even as I'm up here trying to proclaim something to you, where did I get it? You know, first book of Matt Ford, chapter one. Okay, that book would be junk. We're reading the gospel of what? Luke, who is a friend of the apostle Paul. As we come together, we are looking at the apostolic proclamation of who Jesus is. That's how we know him. Paul would say this in Ephesians 2.20. Look at what the church is built on. Ephesians 2.20. We're built on the what? Foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone, who he is and what he's done. He holds us together. But the foundation that takes us there is the message of the apostles. You know, I, I get frustrated. Have you encountered kind of Christian movements that want to put Jesus and his apostles as if they're on different teams? We like what Jesus says, red letters, but we don't like what Paul says in the epistles. Oh, I, I'm on Jesus, not for Paul. You, you guys, that's number one, that's totally irrational. It's totally irrational. Those folks will quote from Luke and then diss Paul, and I want to be like, you realize Luke and Paul were like, <laughs> they're like buddies, right? They, they work together they're on the same team. They have the, they have the same message. Um, it doesn't work that way. To know Jesus and to see Jesus is to hear about Jesus from the apostles in the New Testament. There is no Jesus that you can know and listen to and trust and learn about without the message of the apostles. That's how we know him. So what's our first thing? When Jesus' followers echo his work, who's the focus? Jesus. And how do we know him? Prayerful attention to his word together. So I just want to ask you as, as an individual, does Jesus have your attention? Does he have your heart? Are you sensitive? Are you looking? Are you listening? And are you doing it through the way Jesus has given, specifically? A prayerful attention to his word together. When Jesus follows echo, echo his work, Jesus is the focus. Second thing to see, when Jesus' followers echo his work, they communicate his message. Look at verse two. And he, Jesus, sent them out to do what? Proclaim the kingdom of God. Their, their major work here is to do what? Proclaim. Proclaim the kingdom. What does it mean to proclaim the kingdom? We well, do need some context, right? Uh, as soon as the world fell into corruption and sin, God was making promise. He's going to renew the world. He's going to redeem the world. And he's going to do it through a king that's coming. You could, you could see what we call the Old Testament as promises. A king is going to come. He's going to bring justice. He's going to liberate the oppressed. He's going to save his people. He's going to renew the earth. He's going to reveal the glory of God. He's coming. The king is coming. And then Luke, uh, Jesus is saying, as Luke records, what's Jesus saying? I'm the king. I'm here. I'm the one. I'm the savior. I'm the judge. I'm the renewer. I'm the answer to all of God's promises. We're proclaiming the kingdom. And then what's the offer that's been coming with the kingdom? We've seen it all through Luke. If you'll humble yourself, and if you lay down your own kingdom, and you realize that before God you're bankrupt, and you can't earn anything from him, you can't force his hand, if you'll come to him humbly and just say, hey, receive me, 
In, in Jesus, that king, you will find forgiveness. You will find liberation. You will find acceptance. You will find embrace. And we've seen it through all these stories, haven't we? The prostitute coming and finding acceptance with Jesus. The centurion showing his faith in Jesus. The tax collector having Jesus over to his house. All the people who are outsiders, losers, not welcome. The ones who've made a mess of their lives. The ones who don't fit in with a normal religious group. Jesus is bringing those folks in. So what's the message of the kingdom? Jesus is king. And you can have him in everything he's doing if you humble yourself and trust in him. It's the message of the kingdom. And what are his disciples supposed to do with the message? People, and hopefully everyone will come and ask you about me. That's most of our evangelistic strategies. You guys, we know atheists who are nicer than we are. Nobody will ever meet Jesus based on how nice you are. Am I telling you not to be nice? Just to clarify, be nice, <laughs> okay? Love your neighbor. But what do we have to do? We have to proclaim his message. We wanna communicate it to others. We wanna do that in church every Sunday. We wanna do that in our relationships. You know, I remember that text you looked at a few, few weeks ago in Luke eight thirty nine. Remember when Jesus healed that guy who had all those demons in him? The, it just brings him back into his right mind. Such a beautiful story. Do you remember what Jesus told him to do? Luke 8, where is it? 39. What does he say? What does he want this guy to do? Return to your home and what? Declare how much God has done for you. If you're a Christian, you have an incredible story about what God has done for you. Don't you? Can't you feel it? Do you taste it? Do you realize it? You could pick one aspect of your testimony. I used to be so angry, so anxious, and Jesus is changing that in me. Or how about this? I deserved God's wrath for my sin, and Jesus took it for me. You have a message, and, and what, is, what do we learn from that guy? Where should you go? Go to Jesus, trust him, and then go home, Jesus says. Go to work. Go to your neighbor's. And do what? Proclaim it. Now, I'm not gonna tell you how, I don't know how. Maybe you go out and get coffee. Maybe give somebody a book, maybe you ask questions. Maybe you invite them to church. Maybe you have them over for dinner. I don't know what you do. I don't know how you do it. You, you seek God on that. But, but when Jesus' work hits us and echoes through us, we're focused on Jesus and the other thing we're doing is communicating his Message. That's what we do. Um, you know, later we're going to see at our congregational meeting for members, we're going to see we're trying to add a little bit to our budget. We don't just want to um, proclaim the message ourselves. We want to give a little money. There's a group called Reach All Nations we want to give some money to. If you've been here for a while, you remember Vijay Misala, who's been here. He's a church planner in India. Southeast India, you're looking at maybe 3% Christians. And there's this incredible organization and they're training pastors and they're planning churches and the message of Jesus is spreading. Do you think we should try to be involved in groups like that to proclaim Jesus everywhere, not just here but in Southeast India? Yeah, it's, it's gotta echo out of us. When Jesus' followers echo his work, they communicate his message. 
Third echo. Third echo. I want to see this in verse two. It's going to take a little work for us. Verse two. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to, what's that next part? Heal. Proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Now, on the face of it, how many of you struggle with this? <laughs> go out and heal your neighbors. <laughs> on your market set, go. What? And here we see, that, you know, there are some differences, right? Between us and the apostles in the first century. Uh, first thing, I just want to remember, as we've seen in Luke, we see Jesus teach, and we see miracles, and we see teach, and then we see miracles. What's going on there? What, what's up with this sandwich, club sandwich, miracles teach, miracles teach, miracles teach? How does it work? Well, you, remember, you remember this one story? I think it's a good illustration. Uh, the paralytic drops down in front of Jesus in that house when he's preaching. You remember that? And Jesus says to the guy, I forgive you. And all the religious leaders are all, they're all screwed up about that, right? Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus basically says, all right, I'll prove to you I'm God who can forgive sins. How's he gonna prove it? He looks at the paralytic and says, walk. And the paralytic walks. Is that gonna work for you? Does that vindicate what he's saying? I'm the son of God. He walks up to a funeral pyre where they're carrying the dead kid. He touches him, get up. He's the son of God. The miracles vindicate the message. Same thing with the apostles, right? This is, this is an incredible internship. You realize somebody like Peter goes zero to 60 here. How many miracles has Peter done in his life until this moment? Are you kidding me? Nothing. Jesus, I give you, Jesus says, I give you power and authority to heal and cast out demons. And the next day in the village, I don't know how this happens the first time. I'd be nervous. Would you be nervous the first time? You know, here, here comes, here, my child can't walk. You know, how, maybe Jesus taught him more details on like how to, how to do this, but in the name of Jesus, walk. And half of you is like, I don't think this is gonna work. And then the kid gets up and walks. <gasps> Unreal. Unreal. You know, the same thing happened with the apostles. How, did the, how were the apostles vindicated as authoritative proclaimers of Jesus' message? Miracles. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a what? True apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. With what? Signs and wonders and mighty works. I'm an apostle. Prove it. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're an apostle. Do we need that today, our vindication? What is the vindication of our message? It's the New Testament. It's been vindicated. I don't come with a new message needing a new vindication. I come with an old message that's already been double vindicated by the apostles and by Jesus Christ himself. Now, having said that, is there still a connection point here for us? I want you to think with me a little bit about the miracles Jesus did. When did he ever like make toys come to life? Or uh, play mean tricks on his enemies? This is, this is good that I don't ever have miraculous power. I mean, think about it. If somebody wants to crucify you and you can do miraculous deeds to them, can you think of, of uh, any, 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 any miracles you'd like to perform? 
He never did anything like that. When did he write crazy messages in the sky or create new animals you've never seen before? He didn't do any of that kind of unnatural, out-of-this-world stuff. If you think about it, every one of these miracles, what does it do? It restores. It heals. It fixes. It welcomes. You got guys who can't lift their hands in church lifting that withered arm. You got the leper who's an outsider to the community, cleansed and brought in. You've got the woman with the 12-year bleeding who is unclean, healed and called daughter. The dead rising. They're all for compassion. Everyone is compassion, compassion, compassion. So maybe you can't heal with a word. But should God's people be full of healing with compassionate deeds? We heal with compassionate deeds. When Jesus' followers echo his work, they echo his compassion. They echo his compassion. Not only uh, the, the first way is in kinds of people, kinds of people. Church, who are you willing to serve? Is it people who already believe like you, who already live like you, and who already look like you? Or if there's somebody awkward or dirty or broken or different or even mean, are you supposed to show compassion to those who maybe hate Jesus? Are you supposed to show compassion to, I don't pick one, a Satan worshiper? Are you supposed to show compassion to someone who's been cruel to you? Are you supposed to show compassion to someone who doesn't have their life together and can't help you in any way? And the answer every time is yes, 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 and yes. <coughs> Do you remember the story when Jesus is uh, being arrested and, and uh, one of the soldiers gets his ear cut off? And I don't know, there's a lot of reasons I'm not the Christ. Here's a reason, 1,083. I'd have been like, serve you right, punk, right? Okay. Jesus picks up the ear and heals him. The one who's arresting him to be crucified. Just contemplate that. Or, or when the prostitute who's totally out of, she's, she's being awkward, right? And she comes in and lets down her hair and she's washing his feet with her tears. I mean, any self-respecting religious teacher would be like, whoa, Stop. And he receives, his compassion for everyone is overwhelming all throughout Luke. Folks, if you're going to act, why are you a Christian? It's Jesus' compassion for you. So if we're going to echo his work, what are we going to exemplify? Compassion. We've just got to. We've just got to. You know what? It's the New Testament that vindicates our message, but it's probably our life of compassion that vindicates it as well. It's a life of compassion. So I want to challenge you. How are you showing compassion just in your life where you can? Hospitality, service, generosity, prayer, listening, giving. There's a million ways. They're so subtle. They're here and there and they're everywhere. Are you showing compassion when somebody's different comes at church? What's your response? When you, have an, when you have an encounter out there in the world, what's your response? You have compassion. And then for our, for our church ministries, we want to have compassion. For our budget, we want to have compassion. Uh, we, we team with the church in Haiti, Remember? 
helping vulnerable children, compassion. We want to add a budget piece this year where we partner with International Justice Mission to rescue kids who are in sex slavery in the Dominican Republic. And IJM is doing this. They are doing this. Is that worth some of our money? It shows Christ's compassion. Or you've got Mentor Up helping foster kids on Monday night. Or you've got Jen Her helping teen moms here on Tuesday night. We want to try to start a food bank every way we can, folks. What do we want to be like? We want to be compassionate. So can, any, can anybody remember the three, the, the three things so far? When Jesus' work echoes through you, what's the first thing? Jesus is your focus. Second thing, when Jesus' ec- work echoes through you, you're going to do what? You're going to communicate his message. Third thing, when Jesus' work echoes through you, you're going to exemplify his compassion. Fourth one. When Jesus follows echoes his work, they live out his integrity. Let me show you where I see that. Verse three. He says to his disciples, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bread, nor bag, nor bread, no money. No, don't have two tunics. <laughs> I'm sure this has challenged missionaries over the years. You want to move to Africa and be a missionary? There's this verse. What, is, what does Jesus tell you you're supposed to take? Nothing. Don't take anything. Well, hold up, okay? Jesus will tell these same people, to go on a different journey and take more stuff later. This is a one-time show. On this internship, take nothing. I want you to learn something, Jesus is saying. Take nothing on this trip. Why? What do you think? Why? Because I'm gonna show you how I can provide for you. This is an internship. Are they gonna need this later? (laughs) Big time. I'm gonna show you how I provide for you. Trust me with what you need as you do my work. Trust me with what you need as you do my work. But there's another aspect to this as well. So his disciples are supposed to trust him, but look at what he says in verse four. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and then from there, depart. And sometimes we're like, what do you mean? Well, he's... he's, These guys are going to these towns trusting that Jesus will have a house ready for them who's going to provide for their needs while they're there, a place to eat, a place to sleep. And then Jesus says, don't be doing frequent flyer miles here in the city. Stay in one place. Why? I was looking this up. Commentators are saying it has echoes in other scriptures. The reason is you might, the first person to invite you might be kind of poor. Here, I'll I'll feed you PB&J tonight and you can sleep on a, uh, you know, you you can sleep on the floor in the living room, and you're like, oh, sweet, you're glad you're not outside. And then somebody who's more wealthy comes to your first sermon and watches you do a miracle, and they're like, hey, why don't you come stay at my place? I've got a deck for you over the pool. And you're up to your first buddy. You're like, you know, I really appreciate that night of hospitality. I just don't want to be too big of a burden on you. I'm going to head over, you know, it's for ministry. No. No, look what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 8. You received without paying, give gold or silver or copper for your belts. This is the same situation. I do not want you going on this internship to make lots of money. See, do you see the balance here? Don't take anything because I'm going to provide what you need for your life. I'm going to give you what you need. You'll have it. But don't you go out there trying to rake it in. You guys think of the danger here. Think of the danger. If, if you're taking this text seriously, these people can do miracles, real miracles. 
How much can you make for a miracle? Do you know how much money people are making today on fake miracles? Millions and millions of dollars on fake miracles. Fake miracles. And Jesus is disgusted by that. That people in poverty or in need or in suffering would be used and abused by a false application of the scriptures. It's foul and twisted. We are not here to take from the new, those who are seeking Jesus. We are not here to take from the needy or the poor. So Jesus says, don't you dare use this to make money. Trust me to provide your needs. And don't you dare do this for money. Which means, Jesus is saying, when his work echoes out through you, you're going to live out his integrity. 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 Which means on one side, number one, give us what we need for life to do work as a church. We're going to trust Jesus. And has he provided for us? For those of you who have been in found of life a long time, you've seen some up and downs. You, you saw some days where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to make it. And then it comes amazingly. We're still here. We're still breathing. Praise God. He's, he's uh, provided for us, but we want to stay. Um, you know, as you deal with money, you want to have that integrity. How do we, how do we want to act with that money? with integrity, with the right priorities, the right purposes. If you're new with us, if you're not a Christian, if you're poor, we don't want your money. We're not here to take from you. We want to give. If you're a Christian and you're committed and you're, a, you're a part of what we're doing here, well, do we give money as part of our worship? Well, of course. Of course we do. But we want to live out Jesus' integrity, don't we? When you echo Jesus' work out through you, Jesus is the focus you communicate his message, you express his compassion, you live out his integrity. All right, in case some of you are falling asleep, it's time to get a little saucy. Time to get a little saucy. Look at verse five. Can you imagine this one? Verse five, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from them. Jesus' words to his disciples. What does this mean? Well, supposedly, when Jews would, religious Jews would come back from pagan lands where they worshiped idols, they'd shake off the dust of their feet. You could probably guess as to the symbolism there. I don't want any connection with that kind of people, that kind of living. Um, we're not the same. We're on different teams. They don't know God and his ways. That's what the symbol means. And Jesus has undone that symbol in so many ways, because he's brought to himself tax collectors, pagan Gentiles. He's, he's receiving them as they trust in him. But here Jesus inverts the symbol. Now instead of a religious Jew doing it when he comes back home from Rome or something, it's Jesus' disciple when he leaves a Jewish town that has rejected him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying to his apostles, even if somebody who's self-righteous, they think they're a good person and they're religious, if they reject your message about me, they are rejecting me. And they are not part of my people. 
It's a hard line, isn't it? Uh, Matthew includes a little more. Again, this is the same moment. Look at what Jesus says as recorded in Matthew. Same moment. Matthew 10, 14. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And then look at verse 15. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is as harsh as it can get. If you know about Sodom and Gomorrah, let's just say they were really, really, really bad. Okay? They were really bad. It was a bad city. Unjust, corrupt, overwhelmingly bad. And you remember what God did to that city in his justice? He smoked that place. Fire and brimstone. People ask me, are you a fire and brimstone preacher? And I'm like, well, I don't want to be. I don't like to be. But has God ever thrown fire and brimstone at sinners he's tired of? What are we supposed to say? Yes. He has. He has. I'll say next, I deserve it. He could have thrown it at me. Okay? But he has. And so for Jesus to say, if self-righteous religious people reject the apostolic message about who Jesus is and what he's done, it will be worse for them, worse for them on judgment day than it was for Sodom and than it will be for Sodom and Gomorrah which means the worst place you can be in is to have gone to church and heard the gospel and said, no thanks. Oh, what are you and I supposed to do with something like this? What are we supposed to do with this? Does anybody feel really excited about going and talking about this with other people? Does, it, does anybody feel like you're, you're ready to go to your friend and be like, I just want you to know it will be worse for you? on the day of uh, judgment than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Can we read Genesis together? I'd like to show you what happened. I mean, some of us, at the idea of thinking about that, we're just, we're, we're trembling. I, we don't know how to communicate. You don't need to communicate this in the same way. I don't think anybody's gonna get it if you leave there. You, you went over for lunch, you tried to share the gospel, they didn't believe it, and you took off a sandal, and you're like, you know. I don't think anybody's gonna get it. What's the point here? How do you apply this? When Jesus' disciples echo his work, they won't be ashamed of his clarity. They won't be ashamed of his clarity. Are you ashamed of the judgment that Jesus gives? Listen, I don't want to own it. I don't want to be prideful about it. I don't want to be self-righteous about it. It's not my judgment. I don't want to be manipulative with it. I don't want to be obnoxious with it. I responsibility to communicate the lines around the gospel. You know, if you go to the doctor, God forbid, some of you have had this happen, and he says, I found cancer. Do you say, you're a judgmental bigot? How dare you? I'm a healthy person. Do you say that? Maybe in your shock you might say that at first. But in the end, what do you say? Okay, <laughs> bring the treatment. I'm sad it was there, but I'm glad you found it. Listen, when we talk about the judgment and wrath of God, first of all, you have to ask yourself, do you believe that this is true? Is it true? If you don't think it's true, you're not, you're not believing what Jesus said. I don't know what else to say. If it's true, then is it therefore loving to somehow and in some way communicate that to people? Jesus says you should. Again, I'm not gonna tell you, I don't know how to tell you how in every situation. I don't even know how for myself in every situation. But in some way, we can't be ashamed of his clarity.
can't be ashamed. Uh, The second aspect of that, uh, Luke here just kind of throws in Herod, and we don't really know why. We'll see that next week. Did you see that in verses seven to nine? Kind of throws in Herod. Herod hears all the things that the apostles are doing, and he's like, what's going on? Who is Jesus? And you're kind of like, why'd you throw this in right here, Luke? And then Herod mentions, John I beheaded. John I beheaded. And so if you can imagine the disciples out on their internship flying high, right? They're sharing the gospel. And then, uh, and then Luke just wants to throw this out at you. John I beheaded. Why do you need to know that, church? Guess what happens to you sometimes if you focus on Jesus, if you communicate his message, even if you exemplify his compassion, if you're not ashamed of his clarity, guess what is going to happen sometimes? Opposition. What happened to John the Baptist? Got his head cut off. Was this his fault? Was he a bad guy? No. What's gonna happen to each one of these apostles? Persecution, most of them will die. What's gonna happen to Jesus himself, the most compassionate person around? Some of the people he healed looked up at him and shouted, crucify him. You're gonna face opposition. And again, Jesus' response to that is, don't be ashamed, rejoice and be glad, Great is your reward, but the point of this echo here is those who echo Jesus' work will not be ashamed of his clarity. Don't be ashamed. All right, let's get to the last one. I told you there were six. Let's review them real quick. Those who echo Jesus' work through them, Jesus will be the focus. Second, we will what? Communicate his message. Third, we will exemplify his compassion. Fourth, we will live out his integrity. Fifth, we won't be ashamed of his clarity. Here's the last one. Starts in verse 10. So in verse 10, the apostles returned and told him all that he'd done. Would you like to sit around that campfire? Would you like to hear those stories? They come back and report everything. Oh my gosh, Jesus, I was so afraid. I didn't think it would work. I didn't know how this would go. And oh my gosh, and you were right. There was somebody and we did get provided for. I didn't have anything and I had everything I needed. And, and yeah, somebody did offer to pay me for a miracle. And I remember what you said. I was like, no way, I'm not taking money for this. And it was great. And Jesus says, hey, let's go have a little retreat. We'll pull back. We'll go to Bethsaida. Wouldn't you be ready to rest? How many of y'all, you're ready to rest after a hard week of work? And then most, many of you, you volunteer here at church, so you work hard throughout the week. Then you work hard at church. And you're like, okay, I'm ready for rest. And imagine this afternoon when you're ready for rest and you go rest, crowds show up at your door. Minister to me. I'm tired. And I'm really laughing at what Jesus does here. Look at verse 11. When the crowds learned where Jesus and his disciples were, they followed him. And what does Jesus do? You see it? He welcomed them. Come on in. Come on. One of the disciples, right? You're with me. One of the disciples were like, I'm tired. And what's Jesus do with the crowds? He speaks to them of the kingdom and cured those in need of healing. Sound familiar? It's the same work. Let's do some more. Let's keep going. You know, this is another test. It's one more test for these disciples on their internship. Look what happened. Verse 12, the day begins to wear away. So they just finished this time, this internship. They worked hard. The the crowds have been with him. The day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said to him. Now, anytime the apostles are going to give advice to Jesus, it's, it's funny, okay? It's funny. Why is it funny? Jesus is asleep in the boat, the storms come, and they're like, Jesus, we just want to let you know something you may have forgotten. The storm could kill us. Just throwing that out there, okay? 
Here, here they are with Jesus again. The day began to wear away. And the 12 come up to Jesus and be like, Jesus, we really appreciate your passion for ministry. But uh, we don't have any food for these people. And of course, Jesus is, I didn't think of that. Thanks, guys. No, it's never like that. It's never like that. Look what, look what Jesus says to them. Verse 13, everybody, you ready? Read this with me. But he said to them, what? You give them something to eat. And we can sit here and say, Jesus, Fountain of Life needs work, and they need your truth. Uh, the Fountain Valley needs your truth. My work, my family, they need your truth. They need your provision. And you could hear Jesus say to each one of you, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You tell them. You give them something to eat. You serve. You show up. You give. You tell them. You give them something to eat. And we feel just like these apostles. What do they say? All I've got, I've got a sandwich and a Transformers lunchbox. That's all I've got. I got a, I got a juicy juice. And that's it. This kid brought his lunch. There's 5,000 men, the text says. They used to count just men. Guess how many people there are then, probably? 15,000? 20,000 people? You feed them. You know, it's so funny. We get stressed out when we're trying to do a luncheon once a month, you know? I don't know if we can feed 60 people. Jesus, come. <laughs> Provide. <laughs> and they're looking at 15,000 people. And they have a paper bag lunch, and Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Do, I, I wish I could see Jesus' face. I think he's, what is he doing? In your mind, what's he doing? Is he smiling? Is he smirking? Jesus, we, first of all, he's, you know, he's smirking because they're giving him advice again. Well, Jesus, we just thought you should consider this. And then uh, we, you feed him. What did they just learn on their internship? Jesus provides. And what do they still not believe? Just like me. <laughs> They're just like me. Have you learned that Jesus provides? Do you still not believe it a little bit? Just like me. And so he's got one more example for him. Hey, have them sit down in a group of 50s. All right. So they do it. Bring me the lunch. Okay. And then Jesus prays for it. He blesses it. And then have you ever tried to fathom how this works? He op there's, what is it? A couple loaves, a couple fish, right? That's it for 15,000 people. And then Jesus just starts going like this. And he keeps going. Same hand that's been making fish for all ever since fish were made, but he's just doing it right there. Same hand who's been making plants that go into grain that you can cook and turn into bread. He, he invented this a long time ago, but he's just doing it all right there. He's skipping some steps, right? He's doing it all right there. And I wonder what it would be. Uh, would you stand there and stare at it as he just... And he keeps giving more, and he keeps giving more, and he keeps giving more. How long does it take to do that for 15,000 people? And he's, and he's doing more, and they all eat. They all eat. And here's the point of the story. Did you see it? How many disciples are there? How many baskets were left over? What's it mean? Jesus is saying to his people, I will call you to do things that you don't have resources for. And I will enable you to do them in ways you never dreamed possible. That's what he's saying. 
I'm always going to give you what you need when I call you to do something. I'm always going to give you what you need. I call you to go through a suffering, I'm going to give you what you need. I call you to talk to that person you're afraid to talk to, I'm going to give you what you need. I call you to give to a certain ministry, I'm going to give you what you need. I call, I'm going to give you, do you hear it? So what's this final echo in people who echo Jesus' word? They rely on his provision. They rely on his provision. But you know, this isn't the greatest meal in this gospel. Later on, Jesus will serve another one. Look what he said in Luke 22, verse 19. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said this. He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying what? This is my body. What's his body? The bread. Jesus has provided far more than meals, far more than friends, far more than money. What has Jesus given to you to provide for your every need? He has given you himself. He is the provision. You could end up in a jail cell one day with no water, no food, and you'll have everything you need. You could end up in a nursing home one day. Nothing, everything you need. He has given you everything he has, and he will always be everything you need. He gave his body for you on the cross. He shed his blood for you. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're welcomed. He's given you the Holy Spirit if you trust in him, if you've turned to him. So now let that echo through you. Church, what do we want to do? Number one, keep Jesus the focus. Number two, communicate his message. Number three, express his compassion. Number four, live out his integrity. Number five, don't be ashamed of his clarity. Number six, rest in and rely upon his provision, especially in the cross. He's everything we need. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.